So, good evening, everyone. Hope this is loud enough. We can adjust it a little. How's that, the sound? Okay, good. It's nice to see Prajna. She's turned this way now. <laughs> like, uh-oh. Better do a good job or <laughs> say something. <laughs> hmm. I felt very touched uh, meeting with people in the small groups over the last few days and sharing together uh, something really powerful about the retreat experience as the day the days go on it's it's sort of when we're talking with people people are very unmasked you know there's a lot of truth there and to be in that frequency is really beautiful. It affects us all. You know, the teachers go on also. We have our own retreat as well. And we're all uh, sort of dancing together here in this mandala. And I, it was beautiful to think of this room as a mandala, you know, as we look and in the center. There's these, you know, Julie's talk this morning really inspired me with these pairs of opposites and the each of the images of the feminine. So I just wanted to just take a little time tonight and just share some thoughts and reflections. You know, and just, we're always just offering things every evening in the hopes that it's, it's meaningful for you or, you know, and you can always take what you like and leave the rest. You know, it's kind of a smorgasbord. We don't hear that word so much anymore, smorgasbord. (laughs) Buffet. It's a buffet, a spiritual buffet. (laughs) And you just pick what what feels appropriate. And, um, And so I was reflecting on this stage of the retreat as people start to Really, they've come, many of you have seen sort of the, the light out of the underworld, right? We, we sort of peer through, we look up, we're sort of climbing out, you know, some version. Some people feel like maybe today they, I'm out, great. You know, there's this feeling of openness or expansion or uh, some people are, are making their way, but we're, we're headed sort of out of the underworld, um, you could say, into another level, And what's beautiful about going out of the underworld is that we always have a, a gift that we bring with us, some power that we've learned. There's always something when you go down into the depths of something. We're never just down there for no reason. You know, we're always learning a lesson. There's some power, there's some teaching that's so valuable. And... Um, and I want to talk about that a little bit tonight, is this the gift of faith and also how that influences how we show up in the world, power, you know, our faith, our intuition, and this process that we go through of this continual death, rebirth. And often that's what the underworld represents. You know, we die under there, some part dies. And even though we really wanted to die, it's still painful. So we still say goodbye to something. 
you know, even our, our worst habits, we're, we're attached to them, right? Even when they're in the process of shedding, it's like, ah, you know, they're still, it's sticky, <laughs> you know? And, and, and so that sort of seems to be the way of it. And so as we head out of the underworld, we can think about this death rebirth process and how we're always going through this again and again. And I think in some ways we don't talk about this archetypally too much in our our society, right? We don't really know, have language for this. So we have to kind of look in, you know, the stories and the great myths, you know, and what's pointing to something and maybe some of the shamanic lineages and some of the some of the other lineages for this archetype that we experience on retreat because what we experience here is not our everyday um it's not sort of sort of we open up to a different reality here right we're seeing things differently right we're more open we're more awake than we normally are and in some way the buddha you know, his life was a sort of a, a teaching in that. You know, he, he died to one life. He was this prince, and then he left that life. He died. There was a death there. And then he was reborn as a renunciate, right? And then he had that experience, and then he died again, right? A real death. You say his ego died. <laughs> and then there's another birth again, and then there's the teacher, right, appears. And so some way we mirror that. And what I think is also very beautiful about this process is I think one of the things that sticks out to me a lot about the Buddha's story is that he had enough faith in himself to, to leave a certain life that he was living because he was unhappy. Right? It took a lot of nerve to do that, actually, to walk away from something. Right? To walk away from a family, to walk away from uh, a responsibility, walk away from status, walk away from money, walk away from all these things. And I like the image that the Buddha ordained himself on the bank of the river. Isn't that beautiful? It was like, I don't, no one else is there. And, some, and what's beautiful is that many of you have probably ordained yourself sometime at this retreat up on the hill. Maybe you're sitting with a deer or something. There, We go through these inner ordinations. You know what I mean by that? Something rises up and says, this is... I'm waking up now, I'm paying attention, right? It's like a mini-ordination that we have. That happened to me on my first retreat, actually, um, in the desert. I didn't really realize what was happening at the time, but it was a 10-day retreat. I was very young, uh, in my early 20s. It was before Spirit Rock, this hall, was built. So they used to, you know, Yucca Valley was the place where long retreats would happen. And I remember I was... I was down there, uh, and I didn't know what I was getting into with the, the retreat, actually. I didn't know anything about Buddhism or anything. And I went to the retreat because someone told me they teach you how to meditate, and I, I knew I needed instruction because I was trying to teach myself, but really all I was doing was thinking about all my problems all the time. I, I was thinking, why am I getting any happier? Right? <laughs> like, I think I need to, this isn't really meditation. I don't think so. It's like I need to, it dawned on me, I need to actually go where they teach you. I'm not doing well on my own. Um, and I had all these problems at the time. I was breaking up 
a, a relationship that was very dramatic. We argued, terrible arguments all the time. And it was a disaster. And I actually, at the time, was really unhappy. I actually had wound up selling timeshare. I had taken a job. And it just was horrible, right? I was like, oh my God. Surprisingly, I was good at it. That's kind of the sad thing. <laughs> I seemed to make sales all the time. And I was like, wow. So I kind of got hooked into that a little bit. But I knew that was... I couldn't stay doing that. And so I got fired. I goofed off and got fired. And then I had this, you know, bardo, this something was dying, right? And I, I didn't know how to be with that. You know, where do you go when you feel like you're going through a death? Right? There's no language for this. So you might go to the doctor and say, I'm depressed, right? But it's actually a spiritual experience. There's something is shedding. But our culture doesn't have language for this, right? It's like, oh, it's a problem, let's shut it all down. It's kind of unfortunate in some way because it's a beautiful experience, it's a cycle. Uh, it's an experience that we, we walk through as a doorway, actually. So I went to the retreat and um, I remember driving down to the retreat. I think I've told this story one other time. As I was leaving Oakland to drive down to the retreat, it was about a thirteen hour drive i was uh had just broken up, so I was going to the retreat, and I was like that's it i'm done with you. I packed up all my stuff, and I was basically hysterical for thirteen hours crying uh, and as I was chain smoking and drinking mountain dew um, <laughs> that did not help and and I was just completely distraught, like, this is it, you know, if this doesn't work out, maybe I'll just go kill myself. You know, I was, I, would, I don't think I really was going to do that, but your mind, when you're in a death, period death, this thoughts of, I've got to change, it's really about needing to change, like, something has to die, right? So I remember as I was driving down, I don't know how I didn't get into an accident, because there was Kleenex everywhere, and bottles, and, and I showed up at the retreat completely no sleep, exhausted, half crazed. And um, I remember they welcomed me in the registration, like, welcome. <laughs> there was a, this German guy who teaches Qigong proms. <laughs> some of you might, he was like, and he like, for some reason was just smiling, you know. And I almost fainted. I was just so like, just tell me where my room is, please. I just have to lie down. And over the 10 days, it was like I died and was reborn. And I felt like I really was, you know, I mentioned that at the beginning. Some of us come to these retreats almost like on a gurney, right? Everything's going wrong. And we mask that a lot, right? We don't really reveal that so much. But inwardly, we know. Like, there's a problem here. <laughs> right? And and so I just couldn't hide it. It was all over. You know, for me, I was just an open book of kind of a hot mess. And so um, over that 10 days, it was like I died in the desert and I ordained myself. There was a little hill. And I remember walking up there and, and there was this turtle out there. And, this, and we had this mystical moment of sitting. And, you know, and I remember thinking, that's it. My life's... I will follow these teachings. I had such a, a, a well up of faith, like this faith about hearing. And I didn't know Jack Cornfield at the time, but he was giving these beautiful talks, and I would cry and cry, and you know. And every day was like 
the longest day of my life. And then until I'd get to the Dharma talk, you know, and then it was like hearing the teachings again was like an IV for my arm. It was like life, like don't give up, right? Every time it was like, okay, okay. And it was beautiful in that way. And so talking to many people here, I noticed that people are in this, a lot of people are going through a death of something, a divorce, a change, and, you know, as we get older, things change, a different occupation, or we just let go of some old way of being in the world. We start to see how it doesn't work anymore. It's not leading to happiness, right? Or we start to wake up, right? Our body, maybe we were really cut off and we're we're in the middle of a healing process. Or maybe we've lost someone that we love so much that it's changed everything, in a moment, something, you know, is just shifted. Often it can be when our beloved uh, people in our life die. It also creates a catalyst for this process to happen. And then sometimes it's just a slow buildup, right, of this. We come to retreat, and Anna was talking about this well, as being frozen, you know how, and I can actually see this in people a lot. Like there's a frozen quality to their demeanor, actually. And over the days, we unfreeze, and we open our hearts, and we can let in life. Because in some way, when we're frozen, we're in a state of almost like mm, a comatose state. Nothing's really getting in or out, right? We just had a, and that could happen over many years of just suffering or turmoil or not being in touch with our true nature. It's like a slow, it's like a slow death, you know? We sort of starve ourselves in some way. So these retreats are beautiful because we can come back to life here, right? Much like what happened to me down in Yucca Valley. It was a, it was a step. It wasn't the whole process, but it was a huge seed. It was the beginning. It was like, I see, I was always, I was in the underworld and suddenly I saw out of it. It was like I climbed a little ladder and went, oh, there's a whole realm outside of this, right? And that, that's sometimes all we need is a glimpse. You know what I mean? All we need to do is just have that seed of hope. Like, ah, oh, there could be another way. Like last night, it was like, how would we be if we stopped being so hard on ourselves? What if we just dropped it, right? And many of us are like, oh, could it be? Like there was this hopefulness there, like, wait, Maybe it can be like that. Maybe we can be free. So in some way, I think that that's what rebirth is. When we, we die to this old way of being, we die to the, the habits of the mind, right? We die to being in a box. Like some prison we put ourselves in where there's no escape. We start to get the key, open it. Right? But it's not so easy to say goodbye to our prison cell. We've decorated it. We've lived in it. You know, it's all the way we want it. Even though it's a prison, we know that somewhere deep, we do. But still, walking out of the door and leaving it behind is hard because we actually don't know what's on the other side yet. Right? It's like, well, what is freedom like? Am I going to be okay? Am I going to be... What if I take a radical leap? Is this going to work out? So a lot of times I think we have to have this faith. And I was talking about faith a lot the last few weeks. It just kept coming in my mind. I get many Dharma talks on this lately. Uh, I did a Sunday group in the city and then 
at our center in Oakland and just wanting to talk about faith all the time, like this quality of not knowing but trusting some intelligence. I think one of the things that I've come to for myself is that, you know, as I say this saying all the time, life is school. I really believe that everything that happens to me now is for my own benefit. And I think that's a radical shift in some way. Kind of, I, I think I mentioned a quote on the first night that Albert Einstein said at the end of his life, after all his analysis, he concluded, I think this is a friendly universe, right? a loving place. And all the great masters have said that, like, the fabric of this is love and compassion. And there seems to be something trying to wake us up. Have you noticed this? It's like the synchronicity of things, like there's some kind of, and when you're on retreat, you can feel the magic of that a little bit more. We sort of tap into this frequency of the the magic of life, because we're paying attention, Right? And we can feel things moving us, things happen on time. An aspect of faith is believing that life is happening for us and not to us. You know, when we move away from this is happening to me to this is happening for me, a lot of power gets freed up right there. Right? Because then we're like, okay. What can I learn? What can I, how can I grow here? So being reborn takes faith, letting go. We have to be willing. There's a moment in everyone's life where we genuinely don't know what to do. Has anybody had that? (laughs) We don't know. We genuinely, can I go there? It's just like, it's a, and we have to move in some direction, right? And if we have that faith and we say, well, if everything's for me, everything's for my unfolding here, we move with a certain grace and we trust, even if it's risky. Risky, a little bit risky. I think what, with the age that we're living in, with all that's happening, we have to be willing to take risks now, right? We can't play it so safe anymore, in a way. Freedom at some point takes a movement towards, it takes a break. It takes a momentum, like, I will uproot this. I will move forward. I will, there's an effort that comes. And you might have felt it over these days or had a moment of it. It's part of the ordination that happens here. When you ordain yourself, it's like, I will. The Buddha, I'm sure on that night where he cut his hair and put his clothes on the ground, there was a force of, I will be free. Right? I will. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I'm going to live on the earth now and trust. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? One takes all their clothes off and says, now I sit on the earth until the truth is discovered. Nothing else. It's very simple in a way. Right? I sit here until things are revealed. Right? I'll pause. I'm not going to engage in all the things I did. I'm going to pause and observe and be. Right? And then the struggle. There's always the demons, though. They have to come in every story, don't they? 
It's not so easy, right? It's like, oh, this would be great. We take a leave. But there's always the test, right? Like, we're just about to get out of the prison and then face-to-face with our most intense demon. Well, you know, the Buddha had that as well. Every great being had that as well. I was reading the, this, uh, the biography of Yeshi Sokyo. It's great. Uh, she was supposed to be an emanation of um, Prajna, actually, Prajna Paramita. She was born, I think it was 1,300 years ago or 1,400 years ago, something around that, and um, in Tibet. And she was this great female practitioner. And she was born, and her story is really uh, quite mystical, Sky Dancer is the name of the biography. And she decided to do a seven-year retreat. And it was ferocious. I mean, she was like, one year she sat naked on the earth, right? <laughs> and the next year she did it. She put on a bone, a bone ornament, right? And sat in the bones, right? And, and then all these demons, at one point she started to get closer to liberation, right? And all these demons appeared. Right, to try to knock her off her seat. And some appeared as these handsome men. <laughs> and there was, she's sitting there, you know, these good-looking guys. <laughs> All kinds of ways to distract her, right? And these kind of stories are, if we can accept that those are part of the challenges, we won't be so floored by life, right? If we can accept the duality of like, ah, the opposites, right? As Prajna sits there, it's like light and dark, right? Yeah, here's the play of consciousness, right? Freedom, stuck, liberation. There's always this challenge, right? In some way. But every good story needs that, doesn't it? We need to have some moment. Otherwise, we wouldn't like them so much, the great, the great stories of you know, liberation. But that's also our story, And as we become reborn here, or the seed of that gets planted, for some of you maybe it's just a tiny seed, but now you have to go water. And how do you water it in the world? How can you keep this going? Faith is a part of that. And then there's this power that we have And I was thinking about this today, actually, as I was thinking about this talk, I was thinking how beautiful it is that women are gathering in circles. And it's just not here, it's everywhere now, right? There's a certain power in our coming together. And then I started to think about what is it about our qualities that's so beautiful, that that is distinctly feminine? You know, this way of being that we have, this softness that appears like vulnerability, but it's actually very powerful, right? this way of nourishing the earth, even if you don't have children or you've never given birth to children, you are a mother. Like that energy is in us, or a grandmother. This beauty of our qualities, of our intuition. I genuinely love the feminine energy. And I feel that it, it brings me a lot of tears over the years of ways that it's not honored. But I feel that, you know, as we learn to honor it, it's making a resurgence because even men that I work with here a lot, they're trying to open to these qualities, right? And they're trying to understand and they want to understand. And there's a shift in the dynamic, right, towards these ideas of harmony, life-sustaining qualities, 
wisdom and compassion. There was another teacher that I thought about today who really helped me a lot. When I, when I was young, I used to do long retreats at Insight Meditation Society. And there was a teacher there who had a similar background to me. She had experienced a lot of early childhood trauma. And uh, we were very drawn to each other. She would, uh, I would have meetings with her all the time and while I would be on these long retreats, and she would help me. And I remember she was telling me a story about her father. And because I asked her, how did you get on the path? You know, you're, she was, maybe had been practicing 30 years at that point. And she said that her father had been very abusive to her growing up. And her father was a bully. And this woman is very petite, sort of magical looking, kind of elf-like, right? Sort of wispy, <laughs> you know. And she said, my father didn't like my girlish vulnerability. And he would try to destroy it at every opportunity. Right? That vulner- he wanted me to be hard all the time, but no matter what, I couldn't be. I was always so soft. And, and I remember she looked at me, he, she said, he didn't see this as power. And he died a really sad death. She told me how he died. It was con- confused and angry and suffering. So his ways didn't work. His way of living on the planet didn't work. And I think we have to kind of see in our own lives how what we've learned has not worked. The ways of certain energies do not work for for life, to sustain life. And some of our ways that have been sort of, we've been overshadowed, work. Right? Like this... This isn't just a retreat to feel good about, yay, women, go, roar. This is actually like a life or death situation. Either we recognize it or we don't. Right? It gets a little bit more serious. Like, can we honor it in ourselves? And sometimes we don't because we don't know how yet. You know, uh, somebody was asking me about the feminine and I said, you know, I, I can't come and pull up a PowerPoint presentation and go, here's the feminine, everybody, step one, you know. It's diverse, it's transforming, it's emerging, it's dynamic, it's an exploration. But I know that it's needed, that what we carry is needed. It's very needed in our, for the healing of our world. It's part of the gifts that we bring here. And that's the next part that I want to talk about is our gifts, our innate gifts that we have. Everybody is born with all these gifts. And when we're not frozen, and when we're not numbing it down, and when we're paying attention, wow, it's beautiful. It's like, wow, we can shine. And we can have power. Not the kind of power we've been taught is important, a different kind of power a deeper power that has a love in it that is so much more dynamic than anything we've ever known. You know, so much the compassion. There's a power in disarming ourselves, actually, that I've come to see. But it's a scary process. Isn't it a little bit scary? <laughs> like, ah, well, how do I live without all my defenses and how is this powerful? But it's the biggest power. It's the most brightest power. It's the power of truth. When I, um, last year, it's hard to believe it was so long ago, I did a five-month meditation retreat. And um, I did 
in Crestone, Colorado. And I spent two months in a little tiny Tibetan center. And then I spent three months alone in a cabin. And in the cabin, oh my goodness, I died and was reborn. It was epic. It's hard to explain what kind of retreat is like alone in a cabin for day after day. It's a whole... I thought it was going to be very easy, actually. I had imagined having beautiful moments in nature. and I only saw beautiful things when I thought of it. Oh, you know, it'll be like this. <laughs> had no idea I would be, die and be reborn in there, you know. And, and it was beautiful. I mean, one, one could only bow to those type of experiences. And after that, I, I bow to all solitary practitioners anywhere on the planet who do retreats completely alone. Um... But in the cabin, I was doing all kinds of practices and I was having many, uh, I was going through a death, rebirth, and an enormous amount of grief had come. Grief that I didn't even know existed in any human being. I named it African grief because I teach African uh, grief rituals with my friend Sabanfu, and that's the only time I've seen that type of grief. It was just the kind of grief that takes you over for hours, physically, mentally, it would go on and on, ocean upon ocean, ocean of tears. And I remember uh, I would be practicing in the day, and then at night, I, I didn't sleep very much on this retreat. I was up a lot in the evening time, in the nighttime. But I remember I had this one dream. I was having very shamanic dreams all night. Many of you have had dreams, right? Your dreaming is powerful in the, on retreat. So my dreams were very vivid, like, a lot of clarity and there was one dream I had that I'll never forget because I think it was a powerful image a woman came and she had filled with light and she looked at me and she said are you ready to let go of all your weapons and I remember I said immediately yes because I had suffered so much and I saw a lot of the roots of my suffering were in anger I used to have a lot of anger when I was young and ang- I saw Anger has been very, at that point, I had acted out in anger a lot and there was a lot of my grief was attributed to that. So I said, yes. And she said, okay. And then out from the center of my whole chest started to come all these weapons, like semi-automatics, guns, (laughs) knives, nunchucks, medieval weapons, like the ones with a stick with a big metal bonker on the end, like you would, and it was going on, and and then a whole army started to come out, like tanks, military tanks, and I can remember having a physical reaction, like, ah, like, and it was going on and on, and there was ninjas, and assassins of all types and little spinny things, weapons I hadn't even, I guess I must have seen them on movies or something when I was very young. This went on for at least half an hour, at least half an hour. And I remember waking up shortly after that, and there was a feeling of being so naked and scared. I remember I curled up and I was like alone, naked on the planet, and I thought, oh, I've been disarmed. Uh, what's going to happen to me now, right? I felt like I was going to be annihilated. Like all my defenses, alarm systems. I mean, all of this I've been, was going, you know, all kinds of codes and barbed wire and alligators. I mean, this went on. Any type of surveillance things, all of that was going. And I remember feeling like, oh, 
okay, this is part of the death, I can be with this, this is dying, this part, I don't need all these weapons anymore. Because you know we use them, right? <laughs> Even when we're spiritual, we have something happens and then all of a sudden, okay, that's it. <laughs> right? We, and then mostly though, they're pointed at us. That's the bad thing. I started to see that even though I had all these elaborate things, mostly it was pointed at me. Mostly it was a very elaborate prison of the ego. Right? And it was all like keeping me in. It was oppressing me. I thought it was about keeping out others. But it was, somehow it was an elaborate prison that I was behind. So I died to that and was reborn out of that. But I remember there was a process of feeling naked. Right, even stepping out on the earth, I remember I had to lay down. I love the snow angel image this morning because I would do that on the ground and, and I would think, am I safe here on this planet? Right? And I thought there's a power in love that now I, I, don't, I disarmed, inner disarmament. So we have to trust that. And with that, there's been this love that I've, I haven't known before growing inside. A certain strength that doesn't come from the alarm system that comes from truth and, and, and compassion. Like some, uh, something else, I thought I would be weaker, but actually I'm stronger. There was like a strength that came and I thought, oh, this is maybe what beings mean when they say that their foundation is compassion and it's unbreakable. Right? It was a certain steadiness that I had that I didn't have before actually. And I think this is what the feminine can bring this unshakable truth, right? And we know what's right. I think that's what I love about the feminine. When we're awake, we know what's right. (laughs) We know the right thing. We know what to plant. We know where to look for water. We know how to take care of the baby. We know how to birth a child. We know it's like these innate gifts inside that is wisdom. It's like we listen and we know. I love that. Life-giving, nourishing. War is not the answer anymore. That consciousness is old. It's, a, it's not sustainable. It's destroyed. It's egoic. It's impermanent. It's, it's not strong. There's something shifting to this life-sustaining way of generosity, of caring, of working together. Dalai Lama says it's not survival of the fittest, it's survival of those who can love and cooperate the most. (laughs) Right? And so that old mentality of dog-eat-dog world, it's dying with the rise of this other energy. It's like, no, no, we're killing, we're dying with that. We have to switch. So I love that this is happening. There's power at this time. I feel inspired by women on the planet right now a lot. I'd love to read stories about powerful women. Often I tell story after story and I read all kinds of biographies, you know, about some village woman in Somalia who stands up and builds a well and, you know, it's like, ah, and then everybody can drink water. You know, a lot of this innovation is coming out of this feminine force, this beauty, this love. So we have gifts. You know, we have these gifts and, it's, and we have this power and it's up to us to recognize it now and to help each other recognize it. I feel that my duty is to remind you of your beauty, always. 
feel like that's my mission in life is to look at people and remind them, like, I'm here to do that. Remember your gift. Remember. And there's other women on the planet doing that, gathering in circles. Let's all remind each other together. This whole retreat is a giant, remember who you are, <laughs> right, together. This is not a normal Vipassana retreat here. <laughs> you can go on other ones. These are different. The women's retreat is different. <laughs> You know, so it's like we remind each other that we have these gifts and when we can feel into them and we can trust our intuition, we trust our body, we can use these gifts for the healing of not only ourselves but all beings. All beings. So I want to just end this talk tonight as I just wanted to reflect on having faith and power and as we're reborn together again and again, you know, like shedding all the time. Believing in the truth of this inner disarmament, love and compassion, like we have confidence in that. We don't need brute force when you have soul force. It's way more powerful. And people have taught us that over the years. You know, people have shown us that. But I was thinking a lot, because we were talking about uh, the Great Mother and the Mother Earth a lot, and I was thinking of um, Wangiri Matai. A lot of people don't know about Wangiri. She's, because uh, she died in 2011, but she was an environmentalist from Kenya, and she won the Nobel Peace Prize in 2004. It didn't get any airplay when she won, but I noticed. I was like, because she was not only the first African woman to win the Nobel Peace Prize, she was the first environmentalist. And um, she started what's called the Green Belt Movement in Kenya. And um, she was a, a woman who was so dynamic. She died she was 73. And that was the one thing I regretted. I had an opportunity to go uh, to a teaching one time. It was, I would have had to travel to Wisconsin and kind of go through some things, but I didn't go, thinking... Surely she'll be here. And then she died. I was like, oh, that was one thing I regret. I didn't get to meet her in person. But she was awarded the Nobel Peace uh, Prize and was founded the Green Belt Movement. And she uh, was a biologist. She also became like the first woman in all of East Africa to get a doctorate. So she was the first. And she was doing this in the 70s. Man, she was oppressed. This lady was dynamic, and there's a beautiful documentary that you can watch about her. It's called Taking Root, and then another one called Dirt. And um, she had this spirit that would just radiate its love. And she loved the earth with all her heart. In the movie Dirt, she, in, the movie, in the documentary, she's touching the earth and going, this is the earth's skin, and laughing and lying on the dirt. And, and she got inspired, she was a biologist at the University of Nairobi, she got inspired when she saw women suffering in the poverty of, from the environment being destroyed. And she was a huge advocate of women's rights. I mean, just enormous. She saw women, the earth, and our, all of that was connected to her. She immediately saw it, and she wrote a beautiful book, The Green Belt Movement, The Challenge for Africa. And then she also wrote this beautiful book called replenishing the earth, spiritual values for healing ourselves. But in her um, biography, 
By the way, her organization is responsible for planting 54 million trees in Kenya. And that was the heart of it. She said, let's do tree planting, community gardens, help the women. The women are suffering. They don't have the food they need. They don't have the resources. So it started with her going village to village in urban areas and basically starting farmer's markets in the 70s. Like, we need to grow food right here. You women, let's grow something. And then helping these women grow and plant trees. And it's incredible. Her vision was so beautiful. And it sparked a whole movement, actually, the tree planting now in India. Um, there's all kinds of organizations that are really dedicated. I just joined an organization called Tree Sisters that's going to attempt to plant all the trees again in South America. Right? Basically, the rainforest, replant the rainforest. A group of women are hold the vision of that. We're going to just do it, right? That's pretty good, isn't it? <laughs> like, let's replant the rainforest. That's great. So, but anyway, she was um, really powerful, and I, I thought about her because she uh, loved the earth so much, and she was such a powerful person, uh, a woman who was so uh, willing, really, to die for this cause of women's rights, humanity, and in her biography, it was so much negative energy, and that's putting it mildly. One time she was in, she was arrested for doing this woman's work. She was considered radical, you know, she was gathering women and doing all this education. And so the Kenyan government arrested her and they beat her terribly. And she signed her name in blood on the prison record because she said, I want somebody to know I was beaten here. Because so many people, you know, and she just did these radical acts. Hence, she was given the Nobel Peace Prize. I'm so happy that she was acknowledged in some way for these, this, her strength. So I say this because um, I want us to always be thinking about our sisters. Do we stand in their footsteps? They help us. Like there's all these examples now. If we look around Joanna Macy, we've been praising. who's a beautiful bodhisattva, right? This little lady, <laughs> you know? Joanna's no more than this tall, right? It's a powerhouse, right? And it doesn't matter where you come from, what your background is. This is our world, our altar, and at some point, we just take ownership of that, right? We get out of the way, we let our heart lead us, and um, we create what we want to see. We are the most powerful women on this planet, Western women. We were talking about this as teachers. Western women have more privilege, more power. It's our time, you know, it's our time to be free, And it's our time to help and lead by example, right? Our principles and our values as best we can. You know, it's not to be something that you're not or to hold yourself to an ideal. I think it's just believing in something bigger. I think that's faith. Like I'm here for something bigger than what I could even know. And that's what happens when we step out of the prison. It's like, oh... There's a whole world out here that's so much bigger. Like, wow, okay, I'm here for some reason that I'm still understanding, you know? So I hope that, you know, I feel inspired by what we do here. And it touches me a lot when I think about our sisters on the planet. I hold this 
circle, not only for us here, but all the women all over the world who don't have an opportunity to come to a woman's retreat, who would love to be here, right? Women who are just trying really hard to take care of their children. All our sisters, we hold uh, them in this mandala. Like we're here and we, we carry them. Our ancestors, our mothers, our grandmothers, our great-grandmothers, and also our grandchildren to come, right? It's not only the past, but the future. Our great, 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 great grandchildren, we are doing this for them, right? So they have a better world. So I think that's all I'm going to say for tonight as we sit together for just a couple of moments. And we just hold that prayer, uh, bringing in Prajna and all the ancestors and all the women on the planet and Gaia. And we just bring that soul force right in. And we sit present with all of them, for them, for us. So may we all quickly, swiftly awaken to our true nature for the benefit of all beings everywhere. Well, thank you, beloved sisterhood. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.